they grew up in that kind of culture where it's okay for men to do those kind of things. It is acceptable, you know, and nobody, uh, you know, uh, check on them. Nobody tell them it's wrong. Not just for 16 days, but for 365 days. You see something, you do something, or you, and you say something. But let us not also minimize the emotional and psychological abuse that often goes hand in hand. Now you have someone that hasn't been smacked around yet by the CEO partner or school principal partner, whatever the case may be. So they go there with their form of evidence and witnesses lined up. But you have a magistrate who has said, and I quote, fist in other hand, oh, so he's not hitting you. Case dismissed. How can this be? My name is Ryan Fortune and I'm your host for this eighth episode of the Cornerstone Critical Dialogues. We've been going for eight weeks now, speaking about all sorts of things, from climate change to waste management in South Africa. Uh, and uh, it's been an amazing journey so far. And uh, if you're still with us, uh, following this journey for the past eight weeks, uh, I really, really appreciate it. Tonight, we are going to be talking about the thorny, very seemingly intractable problem of gender-based violence in South Africa. We live in a country which is riven by this problem. It seems sometimes that there's a war going on against women and children in South Africa. And so we're going to tackle this issue with three guests. On my left, in the studio with me, I have Joy Lang. Joy Lang, who is the director of St. Anne's Homes. Um, Joy, would you please introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a bit about, very briefly, what your organization does. Good evening. My name is Joy Lang and I'm the director at St. Anne's Homes, which is a place of safety for women and children who have faced abuse. And so we provide shelter, care and support and economic empowerment programs for women when they come to us for a period of four months to empower them for a better life. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Joy. In the middle... In front of me is Patrick Solomons. He's the director of Mola Songololo. Uh, I was very surprised to see that Mola Songololo has been going for 40 odd years already. That's a very long time. Just tell me how old I am. <laughs> Patrick, will you, <laughs> will you please introduce yourself? <laughs> Yes, right. We're not young anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I'm Patrick Solomons. I'm um, with Mola Songololo. It's a child rights organization. Been going for, yeah. 40 long years, and it started out as a rights organization for children. It's still a rights organization, promoting the rights of children. But um, in the last couple of years, we've also been focusing on violence against children, specifically um, abuse and exploitation of children. Hmm. So we provide direct support services to children within their community. So we do a lot of home visits and going to children's homes and work with their parents and with the school and also then um, sort of refer them to um, services that they might need. Mm -hmm. And then we do a lot of advocacy and lobbying work and sort of Mm. empowerment, rights education work. People don't know their rights, so we do a lot of rights education work. Mm. Fantastic. We're going to hear all about uh, the, uh, the work that Mola Singalola is doing and St. Anne's Homes shortly. But uh, before we get there, Nerissa Philander, who is uh, a senior psychology lecturer at 
Cornerstone Institute, which is the partner in this in this endeavor. Oh. Narissa, will you just uh, introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, good us. evening, everybody. Um, uh, as I was saying outside, I'm extremely humble this evening to be here with Joy and with Patrick sharing this platform, um, raising awareness on a much-needed discussion that needs to be held. Um, loving working at Cornerstone, which is a not-for-profit organization, uh, but pri- for private tertiary-level education. So, uh, listeners, the, the, the sort of the, the, the moment, the news moment, or let's say if, uh, in journalism they call it the news hook, is the fact that today is the 25th of November, which is the anniversary. The UN has designated this day for the elimination of uh, violence against women. And women and children, and then also it sets off 16 days of activism, which ends on the 10th of December. So uh, it's there's a lot of things going on um, to try and uh, raise awareness about the, the, the issue. I, I believe there was a, a candlelit vigil somewhere in Cape Town today. Um, and around the world, actually, there's going to be lots of activities going on for the next uh, week, two weeks. Um I mean, the, the, this this issue. I mean, it seems that we have we, and I mean, the title of the talk is really like, what is the point of of, of all this activism? Because it seems as if the problem does not go away. I mean, I, uh, or even, I mean, it seems to be getting worse. And uh, uh, let me not say it seems to be getting worse. It is getting worse because I mean, I saw some statistics a um, couple of days ago, which said that over uh, ten thousand people. 10,000 people raped between April and June. April and June, three months of this year. 10,000 people, and we obviously know that that's a total underreporting of the, the actual figures. What do you guys, uh, let's start with you, Joe. What do you make of those figures when you hear figures like that? And then, and then I mean, do, do you, does it make you despondent? Yes, it does make me despondent um, in one breath. But in another breath, uh, in terms of uh, 16 days of activism, I say and we advocate to 365 days of activism. Also with the fact that um, the uh, uh, rape and um, the abuse just continues, um, we are also seeing that it escalated because of um, uh, COVID-19 and the triple Mm. challenge that we find in our country in terms of poverty that has arisen because of the economies globally not doing well and especially in South Africa. And so um, accountability is the thing that um, stands out for us. Um, St. Anne's is also part of the National Shelter Movement. And Mm. we are calling for accountability across all sectors. Uh, Mm. Because uh, South African police, yes, you find pockets of excellence in the South African police. We did research with the National Shelter Movement. And women are still saying, in terms of women's experiences, in terms of coming to shelters, and women are still saying that they are not being helped by the South African police. And so that's just one sector of um, the stakeholders in terms of all of us coming together and um, lending a hand to eradicate violence. Um, we look at the Department of Health, we look at the Department of Social Development, oh. and the list goes on and on. So accountability across all sectors is what needs to happen. And in addition to that is the awareness um, in terms of, for example, what Patrick and them are doing in terms of um, people knowing their rights because our people do not know their rights. And then... Mm. 
Um, in addition to that, for example, in, in, in our sector, um, I think immediately of um, our shelter and the shelters in the Western Cape. We are by far the benchmark in terms of the funding that we get, the allocation from government. However, if we look at a different province, for example, the Eastern Cape or, or Free State, two years ago the Free State still got nine rand as a unit cost to house a woman in a shelter. In the Western Cape, it's 73 rand per day. So what can you do with 73 rand? And so we are really saying that we all need to get together and mm-hmm. come together because we are tired and done with the national strategic plans and it's about mm-hmm. implementation. Mm-hmm. And y- yes. that's the important I mean, I, 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 mean, I remember the, the weeks after we in Anna, Khotan Jana was uh, was murdered in, at the Claremont Post Office, and uh, the sort of constant uh, pressure, and then obviously the outpouring of grief, and the the, the president making all these sort of uh, big statements and, and gestures. Does that, uh, Patrick? Do, 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 I mean, obviously, very tragic w- what happened, and then and then we see this sort of. Uh, 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 Everyone coming together and this awareness and everything, but then does does thing do things actually change afterwards? Uh, have we seen a change since that 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 uh, that terrible moment? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult, and I think your listeners will also sort of um, you know um, say that nothing has changed. But I think uh, we do make progress. Um, I mean, these are opportunities for us to sort of you know, elevate the issues and mm. bring it to the forefront to highlight certain kind of issues. And if we use it very strategically, we can sort of be very strategic in the intervention that we want mm. to do. Mm. Now, for us, um, 16 days of activism is like every day, basically, mm. because of the work that we do and the involvement that we have with children and women, for example. Mm. Um, when something really, really bad happens and everybody runs, and because they want to fix it almost immediately. Unfortunately, um, you know, society is very, very complex. So um, the systems that we have in place, I mean, we've got some really good systems. We've got good uh, sort of laws and policies in, in, in place. Um, we've got uh, very good referral systems that is there. Uh, but unfortunately, the human element uh, for the implementation is a problem. For the allocation of resources is a problem. For the monitoring of our intervention is a problem. Right? So that's what we need to give more attention to. So it's this, um, you know, it's good that for the next couple of days we sort of highlight, um, you know, uh, the challenges that we experience. But I think it will be good for us to also say, okay, fine, um, you know, this is what we can uh, correct. And then we also then need to hold people account for these things. So um, the president has got programs and priority programs that he introduced, for example, around violence against women and children. We've got the cabinet has got a special program, various government departments, whether it is social development, whether it is justice or whether it is the police. Um, right, everybody's got their, their programs. Everybody, everybody have, um, an obligation because of the law that obligates them that they have to do certain things. Um, and I think we can do much better if we have a more vibrant civil society that mm. do engage. 
And not only engage when something bad happens. Mm. So it's important that um, the listeners, for example, engage with their councillors, engage with the municipalities, engage with their political parties, engage with businesses in the communities, you know, and um, and then also um, then demand and get involved in the, in these processes because there is uh, there's supposed to be a public participation process, and for far too long we leave it up to the politicians. And when we do that, it's like in, in any household. If you don't check on the people, if you don't engage with them, if you don't you know, negotiate with them, you know, then things can go wrong. Because we, we can't assume that everybody can do the, the right thing. And we've learned that on the political field, we've learned that. and the social development field, we've learned that. When we look at all the corruption that's going on, all the funds that disappear, you know, all the programs that's supposed to happen that don't happen. Um, and COVID, like um, it was mentioned, exacerbated these things. So it's almost like a mirror now. You know, we've, mm. uh, we, we saw our, our challenges were a bit clearer and be- uh, better through COVID. So 16 days of activism for what I said is an opportunity for us to um, highlight particular things. Um, people seem to be a bit more prepared to, to hear and listen. Everybody seems to be focused on it. Um, and, and so it's an opportunity and we need to use it more, um, more strategically. Um, you know, um, events is, is good. These big gatherings is good, but it's not going to solve the problems of, you know, the, the, the challenges we have at police stations, for example, when people go in to report a crime. The challenges that we have with, for example, people don't, having access to social services because of various challenges. The problems that we have that doctors don't want to fall out the forms that they're supposed to. Absolutely. And they send uh, the victim on to the police. Um, because they don't want to get involved in the process. So there's a whole lot of stuff there. But if we don't hold people accountable, these things will increase. Thank you, Patrick, uh, for giving us that framing of, of the of the issue and, 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 and the problem in South Africa. Uh, so multi-layered and, and complex, uh, in, in a, especially in this country, which comes from a, it's a particular, quite a long history of, well, maybe from, the, from its inception, a history of violence, really. Um, South Africa is a, a deeply violent country where people... Uh, often choose to resort to violence to deal with uh, with, with uh, differences of, of opinion or or arguments and that sort of thing. Narissa, in in the work that you do, I mean, with with um, young counselors, young uh, young psychologists that that have to guard into the community, is sexual violence and and and, and GBV is that a, something that they encounter a lot? Absolutely, and you know, it's it's um, manifold because I'm talking about health professionals who themselves are often abused because we know research has shown us and from my personal 20 odd years of experience you're drawn to this profession because you are by nature an empath Um, and so obviously um, the likes of abusers are then drawn to you as an empath and so that cycle keeps going on so mm. it's, it's something in particular that we're needing to bring across um, and I do agree that certain little steps have been taken but I use the word little for a particular reason because the realist in me has seen numerous scenarios and even personally experienced um, the abuse firsthand. Um, mm. and it doesn't just stop at the police station it then mm. goes on to our courtroom 
rooms and to the clerks who should be helping women and children. And I agree with you, you know, Patrick, we have fabulous laws and all sorts of things approved. We have one of the most liberating constitutions in the world. Mm. Um, and in Section 8, you know, we talk about the rights of the child shall always be paramount. And then you go, you know, I'm sure, Joy, you've come across women who go week in, week out to the domestic violence court. And, well, I've witnessed firsthand what women are subjected to. There is no compassion by and large. My own personal experience was just that of being brushed aside. We have from my experience and from my investigation of our legal system in South Africa, sadly, a very patriarchal in mm. nature legal system. So we've got it on, on paper. Mm. It's there. You have the right to go and apply for mm. an interdict. But what people don't know is that the applicant is, is always obliged to bring the evidence. Um, you know, something that was very disheartening to me is a scenario where at a particular court, and I'm obviously not going to keep things as confidential as possible, but to have a magistrate, this is a magistrate I'm talking about, tell the applicant, and this was an, for an application for an interdict on the grounds of emotional and psychological abuse. Okay, so again, we have it on paper. Gender-based violence is not merely, and this is not to downplay, mm. the sexual and violent abuse. I, I absolutely abhor that. But let us not also minimize the emotional and psychological abuse that often goes hand in hand. Now you have someone that hasn't been smacked around yet by the CEO partner or school principal partner, whatever the case may be. So they go there with their form of evidence and witnesses lined up. But you have a magistrate who has said, and I quote, first in other hand, oh, so he's not hitting you. Case dismissed. How can this be? You know, so we dedicate these 16 days of activism. Um, and I think that's where the realist in me steps in because mm. I would love us as, as a society to move away from being reactionary mm. rather mm. to being preventative. Mm. And, and I challenge our listeners to start in your homes. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, you, I believe that's where it needs to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you raise a very important issue. I mean, I mean, I, I know also from my personal experience, not to, 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 to go into too much detail, but I mean, I, I grew up in a, in a home where, uh, my father used to be beat my mother, you know? So, so what, what you then grow up with is you see that that becomes your normality. Um, you know, I, 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 it was always, um, I, I think I only later discovered that Sometimes they, you have some adults who actually, when they have a difference of opinion, they actually take it outside or they take it to another room, you know, and uh, keep it from the kids. But um, that didn't happen in, in, in my case. And so, and I, I would have guessed that um, there are millions of, of young people, that's the same thing, you know, you see that growing up in your, in your, in your home. You, you know, you want to defend your, your mother, you can't, you're a little kid, you feel powerless, da, 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 all of those things, all that sort of very, child, it's basically childhood trauma that you, that you're putting on kids. So we have a generation of young, young people growing up completely traumatized, thinking that beating on someone else is, is the way to do it. And, um, 
And you're right. I think if you are a listener out there, if you are anyone out there and, and, and you are someone who has exposed children to that kind of violence, that is also a, a kind of violence, you know, it, it, it sort of, uh, you become, you don't even see it as violence. It's, it's, it's normal. You know, you know what I'm saying? You normalize that kind of thing. And so I think that's really a responsibility. But I want to come back to uh, some of the, some of the issues that we, that we, that we want to talk about at the, maybe the most, let's call it, I mean, as you said, nothing is more serious than, than the other, but there are certain things that are hugely problematic, like, for example, the issue of human trafficking or, um, you know, there's an interesting campaign that uh, Mola Songolola did, uh, started a couple of months ago about, around catcalling. Um, and uh, I, I was very interested in, in finding out about that particular campaign, Patrick, and how, how that's been going and, and, and why you decided on, on actually doing it, taking that up. Well, I'm like, we work with children and we have what we call our Young Women's Forum and a Young Men's Forum. We started uh, these sort of gender-specific groups because we felt that the, the boys often get left behind um, in these discussions when, you know, um, when they're all together. And that the boys um, have a particular kind of um, approach and are being socialized in a particular kind of way. Um, and they're not easy to talk about abuse issues. So we separated them. So the group in Atlanta, they, um, earlier this year, they had um, their discussions and stuff like that. And then um, because of COVID, they haven't been able to meet, of course, when they met and uh, all process going on and, and talking about how things been and what they're up to and all that kind of stuff. And the issue of catcalling and public harassment came up. Um, the girls in Atlantis from they were aged from twelve to seventeen years of age, basically saying that they get harassed every day. Every day, someone you know chaffs them, and someone you know says something inappropriate, or someone make them feel uncomfortable. Someone um, you know as an approach of grooming them, and someone sort of threaten them, and someone swear at them if they uh, don't give them attention or whatever. Uh, someone might even threaten them if they just ignore them, and they threaten them with rape and with um, you know assault and a whole range of stuff. And they was they're saying that um, it happens um, in their own homes, in front of their homes, sometimes even in their own homes, on the way to school, at school, in front of school. They also talk about men in cars that drive um, company cars. So it's company drivers, people in municipal cars, uh, government cars, people in the community um, that drive for work businesses that also... um, you know, that um, is inappropriate towards them. And then, of course, um, there's a large number of men who's just unemployed and hang out on the streets and on the corners at the shops and all that kind of stuff. So they have a tough time. So, um, and the groups in Atlantis and both ways, where we also have groups, like they, also, they all concur that this is their reality. We so also find that boys are also being catcalled and also sexually harassed by 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 by, by other boys, boys and other men. men. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, so basically, what you have is you have uh, you you are a young person growing up in the world, and you grow up in an, uh, an environment that's entirely hostile to to you every single day. No, it's a culture. Mm. We grew up in that kind of culture where it's okay for men to do those kind of things. It is acceptable, you know, and nobody, uh, you know, uh, check on them. Nobody tell them it's wrong. Um, I, the other day, told, I'm like, you know, sort of told men, hey, what the hell do you think you're doing? He then started to swear at me and all that kind of stuff, mm. you know. Uh, and I told him, you know, what you're doing, you know, is wrong. 
Um, he didn't understand, uh, understood it. For all he know is that, you know, there's an opportunity for him to possibly, you know, um, get uh, someone's attention and to, but he, they don't realize, um, the kind of impact that have on our children. It is uncalled for, it's unwarranted, it's, you know, it's unsolicited attention. And then if, and the, the, the thing is, if you ignore them, if the girls and the young women ignore them, then it's even worse. Then, then the abuse, the mm. violent threats come, you know, and then, the other thing was also interesting, and people need to talk about it. Parents need to object to this thing. Girls get touched by men inappropriately almost every day. They experience it, and by boys, they touch their breasts, they put their hands up their skirts, and stuff like that. So that is what the girls told me. So what we're doing is that, and for this period, they decide every Friday they will do in the communities they will do a kind of a public protest to raise attention to it at so-called hotspot areas. And then also they will, through their WhatsApp with their friends and through their community networks, they will send messages uh, exposing um, you know, this kind of uh, treatment and behavior. And also they're busy um, uh, trying to get a kind of a, 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 um, a statement together that they want to take to the police, to the municipality, to the um, health um, services in the community, to the business in the community, to the taxi bosses and drivers, mm-hmm. for example, to all those uh, people that employ these men. And tell them that this is what your men do. Some of your men are doing. And what are you doing about that? Are you aware of their behavior? Do you have a policy to, um, you know, to, to manage that behavior? Mm. Um, like to, to prevent it? And, how, um, you know, and what system do you have for public to be able to report such kind of behavior, for example? Very interesting stuff. And this mm. came up from the kids themselves. That's amazing. I mean, that's really, uh, I can imagine that that's quite empowering for them in particular to be standing, as you say, standing up for their rights in on their rights um, instead of just being on the receiving end of all, all this nonsense. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, I mean, it's obviously it's, a, it's, it's not a, a problem that's unique to South Africa. I mean, I've yeah. seen I've seen uh, the, the, a few years ago there was a, a, a woman who recorded uh, she made a video of herself walking through New York and then just recording people's the men sort of catcalling of her. And it was made, made for quite... And we had that horrible incident in Johannesburg at the taxi rank where the women were actually sort of physically assaulted also. Mm. You know, mm. it's, it's all over. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's it's a culture, it's a, it's a misogynist culture that is there, mm. um, you know, and nobody seems to do anything about it. Oh, I think uh, one of the Scandinavian countries they've now made it illegal to catcall, mm. made yes. it illegal to to harass people yeah. and call them out, or you know, yeah. and that's quite interesting. I think um, in uh, going forward with the, with the law and trying find protection for people in public. Mm. Um, no, we need to look at that. We need mm. to um, like just see how what we can do mm. in in mm. uh, in our context because mm. it's very important. <coughs> the frog mm. jumped to my throat. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so um, with the sixteen days of activism for us, that is what we also uh, supporting them, and that's what we're using as a means of highlighting this particular issue. Mm. You know, and we think. Um, we can bring, um, you know, make an intervention if it is community-driven initiatives. I think those are the sort of very creative uh, campaigns that actually deal with some of the root causes of, of, of the problem that we have because it doesn't, uh, as you say, it is a culture that we have. Uh, I mean, I often think that it often stems from our, I mean, our very uh, 
conservative culture which uh, a misogynistic patriarchal society which which really views women and children as the possessions of men you know objects, and, yeah. yeah objects that can be done with what 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 we want um I remember back in the 90s, uh, <clears throat> late 90s, when uh, South Africa was changing and I, I was having a debate with someone. I think it was my uh, my uh, ex-wife at the time, uh, but we were, we were still together at the time. And she, she, she just arrived from, she just come to South Africa from, from Germany. And we were having this debate. She had no clue about racism in, in South Africa. Well, in South Africa, she had very little understanding of what, what had gone down here. And so I had to explain things to her. And one of the things I said to her was that, you know, I think that, uh, you know, South Africa is not going to become a better place until we solve the race issue. You know, the race issue is paramount. That's the thing we need to solve. And, and she, she was very insistent that, it, that, that you needed to look at the, the, the gender-based violence issue. And that was more important, you know. I mean, not the, I don't think there's anything, but I was quite like, you know, we need to deal with the race issue first, you know, and then, and then we can come to the, this gender-based issue of gender-based there violence. Some, in some instances, um, like, you know, it, it, it intersects. You yes. can't, like, mm. remove it and only deal mm. with it in that kind of way. Because if you look at, for example, in South Africa and also globally, if you look at sort of trafficking in persons mm. the scenarios or trafficking children scenarios there's certain kind of conditions certain kinds of racial sort of like you know contexts oh, that fuel certain stuff mm. um, and then so that so it's important to to understand those those uh, those underlying conditions that's there mm. the kind of you know systematic um, kind of uh, you know um, processes that happen uh, cultures and how people traditions or how people do things mm. right it's not about accident that we have, for example, uh, largely black children who are, um, you know, at higher risk of being trafficked, mm. right? Mm. It's not by accident. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's because of our racial context, yeah. you know. It's not by accident that um, we have uh, a large number of only black women, right, that land up in our courts, you know, mm. because they just don't have the resources, mm. you know, right? Mm. So that there's a racial context yeah. there. So, and we need to understand those kinds the of intersectionality stuff. of things. That's yeah, mm. and um, so um, so it's not the one or the other. Mm-hmm. And when something bad happens to a person, you know, mm. then that person might need multiple. I will have multiple needs mm. to to be addressed. Mm. But within that, you also. Need, often need to look at the social contexts that mm. is there and the racial context and also in which all of these things have happened and in, and also in the way in which you provide services, for example. You mm. need to be aware of these things. Mm. You need to be aware of, you know, um, are there any kind of um, issues, uh, racial issues, that mm. uh, may, maybe made the person vulnerable, will continue to make the person vulnerable, um, you know, that will prevent the person from accessing rights and services, for example. Um, so it is very, very important in our, in South African context. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about gender-based violence and femicide in South Africa. So, uh, yes, a huge problem. Uh, 10,000 people raped between April and June of 2021. They say that's a 72% increase over the previous reporting period. So that means the previous year, I would guess, 2020. So 10,000. So, uh, Joy... What, what, I mean, do you have figures for a report, rates of reporting? Like, uh, do, do you have that to, to uh, handle? Rates is over 50,000, around about 50,000. Yes. Our annual yes. um, rate of, um, like, a, you know. but, but that's reported rate. Yes. yes. And that's not what, mm. we know that people also don't go and report. Mm. 
you know, so the figure is actually bigger than what we think it is or what mm. statistics is telling us. Mm. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I'm like, we uh, come across cases, and I'm sure you do mm. also, where um, your clients or people come to your f- facility or your service, and then after, when you work, I've worked with them through counseling, whatever, mm-hmm. and after a while you find that something bad happened to them, um, you know, in, the, in that process, but it was never reported. Yes. So, yeah, mm. we find that a lot also with, because uh, with, we mainly work with teenagers, mm. like to, from 12 mm. um, to 70, but sometimes some of them are younger, some older. What do you experience there with? From the shelter? So, so from our um, sector, what we experience is that women, so we take in women um, from 18 and yeah. up. And so what we experience is that women come in, they present with uh, domestic violence or intimate partner violence. And then when they do the one-on-one intervention in terms of the counseling, you actually find out that there was violence and rape and molestation when they were younger that was never dealt with. And uh, the dynamics in that um, cases where women um, grew up the, the, with a stepfather and that's what the stepfather did and in some cases the mother knew and turned the other way and that is what made the family dysfunctional um, and in some cases that very child ends up in a children's home and we see the child, the, that child then as a young adult when she steps out of the children's home because there's no step down facility mm-hmm. as well um, come into St. Anne's um, organizations like St. Anne's with the child because she's then was j- then just forced to go with any partner, someone that could put food on the table Mm. and that sort of thing. Mm. And that, so there are other underlying issues that Mm. also um, have not been dealt with very many times. Often women come as young children, uh, these issues have not been addressed or dealt Mm. with. Mm. 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 So they, they, I guess they fall into a pattern of Mm. maybe self-destructive behavior, self-hatred and all of that shame, all of those Negative things that, that and come also up. don't receive uh, receive any counselling, any therapy, no. nothing. No, yeah, and that's also something that uh, is a big problem, a especially in our poorer communities. Severe Absolutely. shortage of resources Sources. for this. Yes, mm. um, and and this is where I feel, you know, again, I would like to say we need to. I, I think it was Archbishop Desmond Tutu who said, you know, we we need to stop pulling people out of the river. And rescuing them, we actually need to go upstream and find out why the are they landing in the river in the first place. And I think that's that's a very profound statement that he's made because when I look at this, you th- you think about okay, why would someone not report? Well, if so and so is buying my family a bag of groceries and my family is dependent on this, mm. then I'm not going to report it, and mommy is not going to encourage me to report it because we as a household are dependent on that just to get by. So the economic issues are a large part of that as well. And then the other thing that we see is that there is such a, I don't know if it's an apathy or people are genuinely overwhelmed in our in a lot of our government um systems. So the systems are there. They are in place. There are protocols. There are policies. But 
the follow through I'm finding is just not happening. No, so, we can do better there. So yeah. one of the things, for instance, that I can still remember teaching students, the health science students at UCT some years ago, was that one of the foundational pillars of primary health care is intersectoral collaboration. Mm. For goodness sake, we examine them on this. We expect <laughs> them to know this. But in reality... You know, I would really ask that question. Are we seeing intersectoral collaboration? In 2012, when I was working at the trauma center, I attended a meeting with all the bigwigs in, in the police and security sector. And when I said, but now why aren't we training the police as to how to respond mm. to someone who's coming to report? I think they've, they've done yeah. some, taken mm. some steps since 2012, mm. certainly. But at the time, I remember sitting there totally aghast at the fact that they looked at me like, you know, yeah. like sectoral it's, collaboration. It's, um, they, they're probably the best trained with regard to um, gender-based violence issues, but they're quite overwhelmed mm. and mm-hmm. under-resourced. And, and so that is a massive challenge. Mm-hmm. They probably, yeah, they they uh, they um, they train better trained, and they've got these forensic social workers. So they're under resourced, and um, and they need like more effective management. Mm-hmm. But that is is something that we can uh, can improve. I had a, a session on Tuesday with, in Delft. Mm-hmm. Now last weekend, nine people got killed in Delft. Yes. Yes. And the week before, it was five or something yes. like that mm. over the weekend. Anyway, it was service providers, and we did our norms and standards for child care and protection. And um, we were having more like a conversation, sharing ideas and stuff like that. Mm. And like, you know, but what they were saying is that the children and the women don't go and report. Because of one, because they're fearful, either because of um, the perpetrators will have threatened them, or um, they've seen cases where it just nothing happens, basically. And then the other thing is, is that although in Delp, because we're part of a kind of collaborative um, intervention, but the, a lot of the people that came there, um, they said that um, they feel that there's not, um, it, it, no, there's no effective. Um, networking and um, protocols for networking and working together and referrals. And that was quite interesting. And it was quite a broad spectrum of people, um, um, 26 uh, people from um, 13 organizations that oh. work with women and children. And so that was very, very interesting. So there are limitations even at that level. And I think oh. we can do a little bit better at our community level mm-hmm. because you get the, um, the, the sort of the sport over of, yes. of those things. If there's, because uh, there's no service for them there in the community, so they, you Absolutely. receive them. And in some cases, I think that, I mean, the research will also tell you that um, a woman will stay in an abusive relationship mm. for between 7 to 12 years before she actually decides to step into a shelter. And what that then means is that she has accessed all her support mechanisms and resources oh. and she's, uh, she's exhausted them. she's exhausted oh. mm-hmm. them at that stage and therefore she comes in it was interesting that you spoke about the cultural um, d- dynamics as well because what we see in shelters is that mostly it is uh, black 
African and colored women that step into the shelter. Um, it's not very often that you find a white woman coming into a shelter. And why is that? Because she has the necessary support mechanisms. Women will make a phone call and say that, um, is there space? Can I come? And we agree on this and um, do the screening and all of that. And then at another sta- stage, she will call and say, my sister is sending me a ticket um, to fly to Johannesburg to get out of the environment where um, for in our townships and all of that there is no nothing like that yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to I wanted to uh, ask you Narissa around the um, as a psychologist what, what is the impact um, of trauma that is not resolved that that is suppressed because I mean I, I, I've had certain experience with uh, women who I, I later on discover that you know they uh, that they they've been abused or they were abused as as, as, as young people and and then it becomes clear there's certain sort of behaviours that that can almost give give it away you know what, but what is the what is the the there the, the is what what is the outcome of of trauma that hasn't been dealt with especially uh, and in something like uh, having gone through a rape mm. yeah it's it's actually very sad because. You know, you could find that an individual could repress some of those memories and emotions get bottled up. And we know that anything bottled up is going to explode at some point or other. So that could then be triggered further down the line in a different relationship or in their own parenting relationship. um, And then it needs to be dealt with. And, you know, the, the nice thing is that us human beings are wonderfully created and I like to think of us holistically. So we're not just mind and everything that happens in the brain. We, we mind, body and soul. And what's exciting for me, yes, there's psychological help and there's counseling and it's an absolute must. Very valuable and, and I'd like to even say uh, something about some very affordable resources that are available in the community for counseling. Um, but what I'm becoming more aware of now also are some alternative methods where um, people who have been traumatized can release that through non-verbal methods because we know that sometimes revisiting those traumatic memories can in themselves be re-traumatizing. So, you know, I'm talking about things like trauma release exercises, access consciousness, um, those kinds of things. Um, with regards to what is available for communities, so these are, you know, for people who are not on your medical aids and our clinics, well, they are just so overwhelmed. We don't have, we need, there is a dire need for registered counselors, full-time registered counselors at our clinics. Um, the powers that be at the hospitals and higher up are making those pleas to the sectors. I go back to that intersectoral mm. collaboration, mm. but it's not filtering through. It's not coming out. So, I'll give you a practical example. Um, up until uh, this year, I've been um, involved in co-coordinating our practicum students. So these are students who are training to do the B-Psych equivalent. They're going to go on to become registered counsellors. Um, and before COVID hit, we would place our students in some of the clinics as well. They would report huge learning experiences and lots of gender-based violence that they were seeing and other forms of trauma 
the need was obviously clear. Their coordinator of, at that level you know, was desperate for us to send our students for longer, but we could obviously only send them for the six months mm. under which we had them under our supervision. In terms of mm. the HPCSA regulations, of course. Um, so we, we keep appealing. And then when COVID hit, we couldn't obviously take the responsibility for those students and we reverted to doing everything online. What happened to the clinics then? Mm. It just became a loss. Um, but there are other places, you know, there are places like I think in the previous session where my colleagues spoke about, about mental health awareness, there's SADAC, mm. there's your lifeline, mm. there's um, a rape crisis, and there's a place called Hope House, mm. and they're based on the child line. And groups. what's mm. nice mm. is a lot of them are now offering the virtual and the contact mm. options. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. So so there, there are little steps being made, mm. but there's so much room mm. for, for, for more formal yeah. employment for mm. counsellors. Mm. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're talking about uh, gender-based violence in South Africa on the Cornerstone Critical Dialogues with myself, Ryan Fortune, tonight and uh, my three guests, uh, Joy Lang of St. Anne's Home, St. Anne's Homes uh, and Patrick uh, Solomons from Mola Songololo. Uh, both organizations have been around for a very long time. I believe St. Anne's Home is since... 117 years yeah. old. 117. Sure. <laughs> 117 <laughs> yes, years old. You're that, is a, that is a very long time. Very fast. Um, yes, and then uh, Mollison and Glola around for 41 years now. But Patrick, you, are you 40? You're not definitely not 41. Uh, I'm only 25 now. <laughs> <laughs> and then Nerissa Philander from. We are talking about the very thorny issue, very topical, uh, particularly right now, I guess always topical in South Africa, the issue of gender based violence and femicide in South Africa. This is what they call the silent pandemic, or I think the president's called the second pandemic that is ravaging through the, the country in, in the midst of COVID. Uh, we've now seen, we've got. Um, a, uh, seems like we're heading for another wave, a fourth wave. There's a new strain out there. There's a new variant of the virus and uh, 3,000 cases, new cases uh, over the last few weeks. Now, the last few days, actually, last week, I guess. And um, so lots of things happening. It's payday coming up, hopefully tomorrow. I would like to think so. Payday because it's Friday, Black Friday is is, is, is coming tomorrow. So we hope that uh, all the finance people have done their work and, and, and sent the salaries through and everything so we can go shopping online, take a lot and all that. Those people are going to make really good business. Uh, it's Christmas and New Year coming up. All of these things happening, and also uh, the topic of the the, the, the this evening's show uh, in the context of the twenty fifth anniversary, twenty second anniversary of uh, the day of the elimination of violence against women and children. Um, yeah, so I want I wanted to, to talk to you, uh, Joy, about. Um, the 
the work that you guys have been doing because you 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 say you earlier on you mentioned that you 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 get women sort of at the end of a cycle right or at the end of a a, a pattern and they're sort of at the they're at their wits end they don't have any more resources to draw on and that's when they they, they come to you i mean uh, these women, what, what, how, how do you work to get them back on their feet? What is that? What does that work entail? Okay, so um, when women come in, uh, they basically come sometimes with nothing because they've had to flee an environment with their children. And so the first thing that we would do is to make sure that they are taken care of in terms of all their basic needs. And then they settle down. So, for example, we've had three women over the past two days come in with their children. And so they have been just settling down in the shelter. It was sunny today. They're sitting in the park in the shelter, just absorbing that they are safe and that they're okay. And um, so they've seen, they will meet the social worker. Some of them have met the social worker today. And um, they will go through um, what we call an individual development plan. And that is where we come alongside the women and journey with them in terms of them achieving their goals around where they want to see themselves in four months' time. Um, and so that journey begins with what they put on the sheet in terms of their plan. And so the services that we offer is the one-on-one counseling. Then there's group work that happens, women's group work, because we also know that we learn from one another's experiences and we know that um, we can actually share in in that safe space and learn from each other. And so it's the the uh, workshops that takes place. And for example, yesterday they had a pottery therapeutic intervention that um, takes place. But besides that, it is also an income generation for them for if they can't find work. And so there is um, human rights. New skills. Yeah. So it's skills development, human rights interventions, therapeutic interventions, and uh, as well as parenting skills because very often the women have also not been parented properly as I mentioned earlier some of them come from a children's home or they've been in a children's home or in a dysfunctional family and so um, when women exit and you ask them what what was the most powerful learning for you many of them will say that it was the parenting workshop that takes place because they didn't know how to parent because they weren't parented properly also just giving love and and, and support. And so we also do court support because some women come in, they come in with a a court case already pending or they want to go um, and uh, get an an interim protection order. So we help them with that. We also assist and um, I want to agree with Narissa in terms of the criminal justice system, the clerks of the court. Um, We've had cases where women go and then the clerk says, but you're safe, you've been in a shelter for almost a month, so why do you need an interim protection order? Man, we were on at that court manager the next morning and everything was um, dealt with in that manner. And so the empowerment also stretches to computer literacy skills. We've just had three women, two women that completed a home-based care course. So it's it's it it begins with pra- it's the practical, in, yeah, yeah in uh, the individual development plan, mm. 
and um, job readiness in terms of helping women to um, find work. And it's really been tough for us now with COVID and companies closing and especially the hospitality industry because we've had relationships with local businesses that would actually recruit women from um, the shelter and empower them in, in that way. And um, so for us, it is really the economic empowerment because women will tell you on their sheet, their main goal is I need a job so that I can take care of my children and that I don't have to go back into that environment. The sad thing for me is that um, I also believe that we have dealt with this um, as a response uh, globally to gender-based violence incorrectly um, to a point because when it happens, we remove the mother and the children from their safe space. The perpetrator is still there in the home. Nothing has happened to him. And what then happens is the, the family comes into the shelter a month, two months later, that very same perpetrator has another relationship with a woman. And so we... For me, um, we need to be working ourselves out of a job, uh, but it doesn't seem to be that way because our response is, is, is incorrect because we need to be sentencing perpetrators to a rehabilitation program, a perpetrator program where we can break the cycle. And that is why we also have a crash on our premises. So whilst women are undergoing their interventions, they can do so with the knowledge that their children are safe. And so the crash is um, registered. It runs a full-on um, early childhood development program. We have a swimming program in place. We also have a play therapy program and music therapy program. We find that the play therapy is where we are really able to break the cycle because the kids, even though they're in the crash, they actually act out um, the violence and the trauma that they've experienced or it, sometimes they've actually been abused in the process as well. And so we call in the services that we pay for. We don't get the funding for that of a play therapist. And you can see a visible difference in a mm. child in eight oh, weeks um, of one-on-one intervention and play therapy. And that for me is where we are breaking the cycle and we are also putting positive deposits into the future. Oh. And so it, it is... It, 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 the work, um, so I really honor the work that, that, that you do with the children because it also aims to help them to become better adults and uh, a bit, we'll have a better society at the end of the day. But we all need to lend a hand. Yeah. Also, I'm like, um, one of the things, um, yesterday we got a request. Um, the court um, sent the child back to the home and the main caregiver is female and is also the um, perpetrator. And so um, today my colleague had to try and address that case. Um, so there are also women who are, um, are offenders of gender-based violence. And I think um, we also don't give enough attention to that. Mm. And women in particular, um, you know, um, lash out at their children. 
Mm. Um, and um, so that's something that we we need to give some more attention to because the children tell us it's my mother that beats me. Mm. It's my mother that like mm. throw me against the wall mm. or push mm. me aside. So, yeah, yeah. So, so Patrick, I mean, so yeah, I mean, we 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 would often, <clears throat> I mean, there's a sort of a standard joke that if you are a person of color in the world and you know white people deal with their kids in a certain way, they'll you know have a sort of a adult conversation, <laughs> money <laughs> or something, and. And then uh, you know, if you grew up in a, uh, you grew up as a person of color in the world, you are obviously on the receiving end of some slipper or some mm. belt, usually or that kind of thing. And I mean, I, I guess as society changes and develops, those those kinds of things change. Uh, but I mean, we we all then grew up with uh, with a mother who was quite abusive, really. I mean, you know, the women back then that was part of what it was to be a parent. You to discipline your kids with violence, and you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I remember getting cuts at school with the ruler. Same, you know, and so, so which is uh, illegal now. Yes, <laughs> I mean, thank God for that. You know, which doesn't but, mean it's not happening. Yeah, no, no, it's not <laughs> happening in school. And, and, yeah. 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 So, I mean, the, 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 do you think the society is moving fast enough? Clearly not, because it, it is then this, this, this culture of, I mean, I, I've seen women in the store, you know, the child throwing a tantrum and they, and they, they scream and they lash out, or that's sort of the general response to a crying child or a child who's having a, a moment. And, uh, are these some of the skills that you, you teach in, women? In the parenting program, which is a six week, uh, program, mm. um, we teach that and that's, um, discipline practices, healthy disciplining practices because women who are in abusive environments they also lash out in their frustration on their children Mm -hmm. and it actually happens in the shelter as well and so the the staff and the house mothers especially um, they have been trained to also assist uh, the women when they come in in terms of um, healthy boundaries around disciplining their children and the way in which they do it. And therefore, they often say that it was an eye-opener to to actually go through the parenting program. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that, that we need to do more of. And I know yeah. that the city of Cape Town had a program for the public um, at large. And it needs to almost start in schools for me. Mm-hmm. And I know that, I mean, in the U.S. they have those programs where the kids walk with this um, doll that they need to take care of and, you know, mm-hmm. 24-7 and all of that. And mm-hmm. and those are the, 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 the things and the interventions that we need to do um, with uh, our communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of work to be done. Uh, lots of, uh, I mean, and, and it's, it's actually it's interesting work. You know, it's like work that you, you, as you say, you can see a difference in in, in a, a child's life in, in the space of two months. Uh, very impactful work. Uh, I wanted to ask about the the the, the, the issue of uh, is there a sort of a standard practice when when someone is uh, the, the 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 victim of a, a, a rape? What is that practice? Is it is it sort of a, a, a is, uh, from from the side of government or any of these institutions, what is that? What is that practice now? I know that things have changed. What is the? What are the steps if you are the victim of uh, a, a violent rape? Well, the first uh, thing is to make sure that the person, the victim, is okay. That I think that's most important. 
And then also the next step is, of course, uh, to secure evidence. Mm. That's very important. And then in part of making sure that the victim's okay, the victim needs to have a medical examination so the district surgeon is important mm. or whatever facility, to Zela facilities yes. and stuff like that. And then, of course, it needs to be reported. Now, the process of whether it, which one happens first is not important. It depends on the situation um, that you're confronted with mm. and how quickly the person can have access to services. Now, what we have seen in some cases and also at the community meeting the other day with service providers, what they're saying that the doctors refuse and refer the victim to um, they would examine the person but don't fill in the forms mm. and then they refer the, uh, the victim to the police. Mm. Right, um, so the police have to fill in the necessary forms um, that they have to do. Is it such a requirement? But the evidence comes from the doctor. The doctor has to gather the the physical evidence that then goes into some file or is, yeah, call is a rape kit. Uh, yeah. 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 Mm. And that needs to go to the police. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And sometimes the, the person first go to the police, or the police is there first, and then the police might call in the social worker to assist the victim to get to the Tutuzela yeah. Center or any other facility where they can administer a rape kit or the medical examination, mm. right? Um, and then, of course, uh, the after that, then the investigating officer gets appointed, mm. and then the investigation starts. And then hopefully, um, that's why the social. Uh, just quickly, Patrick, the the victim can at any can the, is the victim at any point at liberty to say they don't want to pursue charges or mm-hmm. yes. yes, unfortunately, yeah. and then so. what? Okay, as, and then what happens? So, so, so they can stop the investigation, and 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 yeah. yeah. If a crime has happened against a child, then anybody else can can make mm-hmm. a complaint, or the investigation can even continue. But even if the child say no, I don't mm. want to take this mm. further, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because ch- crimes against children is um, afforded a special kind of status. Mm. Uh, there's special protection for children. Oh. Mm. Um, so, but if it's an adult. Mm. Um, then there's nothing um, you know the system can do. Then the case basically collapses. Don't move any further. Yeah. Um, then, all, of course, also children, young people can also cons- uh, make a consent to sex and sexual relations. So, a person who's uh, 16 and over can consent. And often we find that they then say that it's my boyfriend, or they get threatened to say it's my boyfriend and stuff like that. But isn't that limited to not older than two years? And there uh, are those kind of provisions yeah, there. Yeah. And that's something that often mothers complain about, mm. right? That the child is in an abusive relationship, that the child's been raped or um, being sexually um, harassed and assaulted, but then the child don't see it as that. Mm. Um, and so we get a lot of that kind of situation mm. in our communities. Mm. Um, so, so actually, the, the, the purpose of probably groom that, that yes. child over yeah, a lot months. of men, yeah. yeah, target goals, teenage mm. goals, and so they go from one goal to another. Um, you know, for this year it's like this one, next year they have another one who's 14, 15 years of age. Mm. And, and then, of course, also, um, we've have a, a had, we have had a spike in teenage pregnancy. Yes, oh. I saw those figures. What, what, what are those yeah. figures? It is quite terrible. Scary, right? So, um, so children as young as fifteen and sixteen are having babies. This, um, like, we had a, a case of a twelve-year-old the other day who became pregnant. Um, so that is quite scary. Mm-hmm. And so, what we also find that the so-called boyfriends are also getting younger and younger. Mm-hmm. And um, but there's still quite a large number of men 
who has sexual relations with children who is under the age of um, 17, uh, 18. And a large number of them are between the age of 12 and 17 years of age. So that is quite scary. And then, of course, also what is, um, what is um, in these relationships that we see and these situations that we see, there's a very strong element of exploitation there. There's a grooming aspect and then the exploitation. So the, you get sex for reward for something in return. Either for protection, for some food, for airtime, mm. uh, clothing, phones, data, data mm. um, a ride, or whatever it is. But it is uh, quite pervasive. It happens almost everywhere. And particularly teenagers, tw- 14 and up, uh, up, right, who are targeted for, by men in the community and by boys. Some of the boys are 17, 18 years of age, 16, 17, 18 years of age. And um, girls are powerless. Uh, against these things, what is it? What is the role of of technology in this? Um, if, if if any, do, do you both, still? both good and bad. Technology basically means, and parents must please take note. Mm. If you have children, and you give them a cell phone, it basically means that Anyone. a lot of people can get hold of your child, mm. Mm. and there'll be some of them that might want to do bad things with mm. your child, or mm. you know whatever bad intentions. Yeah. yeah. So that's what people need to realize because if you have a cell phone, most cell phones nowadays are linked to the internet. Mm. So your child can have access to lots of information, Mm. right? And then some of that can also be harmful information or people that want to harm your child. Mm. It's also, of course, very, very good for communication, to check out, um, Mm. keep in contact with um, Mm. children and parents and stuff like that, help with your schoolwork, Mm. accessing information, give you directions, you can, you know. Yeah, yeah. this becomes this be-all and (laughs) end-all tool that's uh, always with you. And you connect it to the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. I've been asked by children, geez, shame, you had a very sad life. Yeah. Mm. Mm. But you didn't have a cell phone mm. when you were at school. Mm. Like, yeah. And yet I survived. <laughs> and the yeah. kids, because it's uh, the cell phone, the kids, I don't know if the women also report this, but their sexual assault and rape often gets recorded. Mm. By, you know, on the yes. cell phones mm. and, um, you know, and, then, and then used to blackmail yeah. them. Yes. And, and then yeah. also now and then we hear about children and we come across a choice where children themselves, whether they're 10, 12 or 13, take inappropriate pictures of themselves mm. or others mm. and then send it out. So parents really need to Mm. And we need to educate our children about what it means and, and mm. all that mm. and how mm. it can be harmful for, for them and other children, mm. basically. Mm. And, and this is why I think I raised the point earlier of how everything starts in the home. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I'll give you a very basic example, simple thing like making the bed. My 12-year-old was like, no, but, you know, why do I have to? It's my bed. I sleep in it. If I don't want to make it, I don't have to make it. I'm like, no, because this is a life skill. This is why you need to learn to make a bed. This is what it does mentally, da 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 da, da. Of course, he's a real wisecrack, okay? He says, but, you know, and I said, and also, one day, if you're married, you want to prevent problems at that stage in your mm. life. So you learn these skills. He comes back and says, Mom, but you know, I was thinking about it. If I'm married, uh, then my wife and I would sleep in the same bed. So I said, yes. 
Well, then she'll make the bed. <laughs> and, and that little example, mm. it, you know, it's something we can laugh about, but mm. I seize that as an opportunity mm. to educate him on no. Mm. You know, this is what's maybe challenging about that kind of thinking. And mm. if you're going to think that way, mm. you're heading down a very challenging path for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so. so it's, it's those little conversations that you have with your child, be it mm. about using of cell phone and data mm. um, how else can you access you yes you need the data for a school project mm. but how else can you access it of course yeah. the library is available. yeah it goes to the library or data. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. I know why our data is so expensive or limited really time do something about mm-hmm. that school that's another critical yeah. discussion mm-hmm. all on its own mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so guys so the, the, I mean there's um there's a, there's certain obviously certain structures and organisations and bodies that have been set up uh, to deal with this issue. One of them is the Western Cape Commissioner for Children, which is a, it's a, a recently uh, constituted body. What what is what is what is the the purpose of that of that organisation? What is what is it put there to do, and and how is it doing it? Uh, yeah, well, the Commissioner for Children is basically part of the child rights framework. Um, now, we lobbied for that for many, many years. Mm. You know, in 94, we had our, uh, democratic elections. New South Africa came about. In 96, our constitution came in, uh, into, uh, in, into, into effect. And remember, in our constitution, we have a human rights commission provision there. We have mm. um, different commissions there. Now, the idea of a, a commission for children was also part of that whole discussion, but the politicians threw it out. Mm. They thought that the Human Rights Commission will will see to everything and stuff Mm. like that and blah, blah, blah. So, um, and then the provincial constitution of Western Cape and also because Natal, they had, they retained their provisions for a commissioner to be established. Unfortunately, the premier in this province and the and the political parties in this province, um, yeah, uh, wasn't wasn't quite eager to set this up, but we lobbied and lobbied and lobbied and lobbied and lobbied and lobbied for many many years, and then eventually got established. So the purpose of the Commissioner for Children is basically to, to keep an eye on children, to see how government is doing, to implement the rights of children, to alert government to some of these challenges that is there, and then also to advise government how to um, prevent the violation of children's rights, whether it is through uh, policies, through programs, through whatever means, for example. So at the moment, uh, the commissioner is only a year in office. It's, uh, it's quite a historic um, office. It's the first one of its kind in South Africa. We have the Human Rights Commission, and they, they have a commissioner that also is supposed to look after children, but the commissioner at the moment is not well, so she hasn't been in her uh, position for a long while. But she's not a full-time commissioner for children. She also has to manage a, a, a province like KwaZulu-Natal, for example. So this is the first time we have a full-time person set up by law. So it is in the Const- provincial constitution that we created an, a law for the appointment of the commissioner, setting out the powers of the commissioner, the role and function of the commissioner, and then also how the commissioner should uh, operate. It's supposed to be an independent body. 
We have problems with uh, the fact that uh, the commission is too close to the premier's office mm. and that the administrative um, link is too close. It doesn't it, it compromise commission's independence. The commissioner have a fair amount of power, can also um, subpoena people, can also fine people. Whether it is a, D, a, a, a government representative or D, DG or a program manager or whatever. Um, so it's been the first year. The commissioner haven't received all their, their funds Budget, yet. So yeah. the, the development has been a bit mm. slow. And I think civil society organizations really need to support the commissioner to set this up because it can become a very good tool for to monitor how we're doing to, um, uh, to implement children's rights. One of the key aspects to this commissioner is that it's, it has, the commissioner has to work with children and involve children mm. in her work. Oh. It's a very special provision trying to advance uh, the children's participation rights. This is a very unique and special provision, a legal provision. So the Western Cape um, government has an obligation to provide the commissioner with resources and the provincial parliament is supposed to ensure that that happens because they provide the oversight for the commissioner. The commissioner reports once a year and um, unfortunately because of COVID, of course, that um, impacted all of us. Um, the idea, there's many countries who have commissioners for children or ombudspersons for children and there's a few African countries like Ghana have one, for example. The um, Philip Seychelles uh, have one. Some other countries have commissions for children. Um, and um, so the commissioner is also now engaging with her uh, counterparts to to learn and find out what's happening. But it's a good it's a good um, good thing. It's a good thing to have because basically what it's like the Human Rights Commission. The Human mm. Rights Commission is an independent entity set up by law. It's in the constitution. The mm. governor has to set it up and have to resource it. Mm. But if civil society organisations are not going to support those institutions, government can strangle it by not giving it resources. If we don't hold our parliament accountable, right, engage with parliament, um, then they can, you know, curtail the, the effectiveness of, 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 of such kind of institutions by not providing them with resources, mm -hmm. by not responding and all that kind of stuff. So it's very important that organizations and the media plays a fundamental role. The mm -hmm. media need to engage institutions mm -hmm. like our um, human rights institutions, which is also now the, com uh, the Commissioner for Children. is a human rights institution mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. um, and also, um, you know, um, engage with, uh, with um, the, uh, the legislature and um, make sure that legislature can hold our politicians and our government, whether it's national or provincial, accountable. Mm. We really have some problems in that area. Mm. More and more organizations need to engage in that process. Mm. Um, so, yeah. But so, we have these... uh, Christina Nomdu. She is the, the commissioner mm. for mm. children in the Western Cape. Okay. What's her, what's her name? Just a second. Christina Nomdu. Nomdu. Christina yeah. Nomdu. And she's, uh, she's supposed to be a champion for, for children. children's rights. Yes. Children and their but rights. Now, how do we inform and educate just the ordinary person not the per i mean look i someone a clinical psychologist also had to go to the domestic violence mm. court had to i mean in fact yeah. i'm still going to the maintenance court two years later but that's another story for another day um 
Now, I'm talking about the ordinary person who has perhaps not had the benefit of tertiary-level education, not had resources, not getting support even, have escaped to the shelter. How should they find out about these commissioners, etc.? What can we yeah. do to but, make but, them but make not it only But also about... Uh, 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 there's a lot of stuff that we can, that people need to know, and we can do a little bit better. So it, it starts off with education in schools. Mm-hmm. Children mm-hmm. need to learn about these things, about their rights, about uh, mm-hmm. what to do, where to go if they need help and assistance, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And also opportunities for whether it's for recreation, for mm-hmm. education, mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So did you just in our commu- local the, communities? Also. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, the, early on, uh, Nerissa, you asked the question about the, you know in other countries, mm-hmm. and you mentioned in the Nordic countries, the, the social democratic countries which seem to be doing much better and you know I've, I've, I've been to some of those countries as well I guess some, some of you have as well and you were saying something quite interesting Patrick that it comes from a long history of you know contestation around these issues and, and education around mm-hmm. uh, uh, human rights and you know women's rights and you know gender equality and, and all of all of those things yeah. and, and then I think also I mean quite a very uh, strong uh, social net you know for people who um, are not, you know, for the, for the people at the bottom of the society economically, you know, they, 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 they really sp- spend a lot on their social programs. And I guess there's some kind of, uh, basic income grant that, that, that people get. And, and, uh, this issue of a basic in- income grant has also now recently come to the fore. Uh, in South Africa because of the huge unemployment issues and the fact that, you know, I mean, people, I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm, how much are people living on these days on the social grants? Something like, what is it? It's like some ridiculous amount, um, and that I mean that could then also de- de- address the issue of people who are in in conditions of abuse because of economic need and and those sort of things. So I mean, uh, I've, uh, what I'm, I guess I'm trying to say is that uh, as you say, it's a very complex uh, uh, issue that that is interconnected with all of these other issues that are very particular to South Africa, but there are interventions and lessons that we can learn from other countries if we if we really want to make a difference in, in the issue. Yeah. yeah no, that's true. And, and, and like we, we do learn and we do engage uh, on an international level. Our government engaged in the international level and we are part of international bodies. So like with the UN, mm. the African Union and stuff mm. like that. And um, the UN um, you know, has set standards of how government should uh, deal with uh, gender-based violence issues, for example, mm. and with children. So there are these international standards and our constitution, to a large extent, trying to meet some of those standards and our laws are, um, like, you know, we've equalized to meet those standards. Mm. So, so we uh, we um, not doing too badly when it comes to, as you said, with regard to our, our legislation, our laws, our policies and mm. stuff like that. So it is over the implementation. And then we also have a lot of um, you know, organizations, civil society organizations that link up on the international level other um, other groups, um, you know, international mm. bodies and stuff like that. And it's through that engagement we learn and we, we can support each other mm. with regard to these kinds mm. of issues. Because gender-based violence is not only unique to South Africa, it's a global pro- challenge that we have and there's yeah. global implications for a lot of these things mm-hmm. as well. People travel a lot cross-border, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have a kind of responsibility not only to ourselves but also in terms of work with our neighbouring countries mm-hmm. and other countries as well. Mm-hmm. So that's very, very important.
So we do learn from that. Some countries have had a long tradition of human rights. Ours are not so like, you know, certainly since 94, um, things have started to change. Hmm. Right, where we um, have now, uh, we now have a human rights um, legal framework embedded within human rights culture, you know. But we need to learn every day about that. Hmm. And we must never assume that if I told you that these are your hmm. rights, that you're now going to know your rights and exercise oh. your rights, hmm. and that people are going to protect your rights and, hmm. you know, hmm. and respect yeah. your rights. We have to do it every day. Every single day. It was very interesting the thing of. What, what, you work with with children. I mean, that's that's the work that you do. What what is it? I mean, from the perspective of a of a child, what what, what is it that children really need? What 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 are, the, what are they what do they need? What do they want? What, you know, what do they need? What what is the what are the basic things? I mean, I I've got some ideas, but from your perspective, someone who works with with kids a, a lot. Well, I, mean, I think if you've been a child, you'll know. Yeah. You need to eat. <laughs> <laughs> you want food. Yeah. So it's very important. In South Africa, a lot of children go hungry, and and mm. and and with COVID, has increased the hunger. Mm. So food and good nutrition is very very critically mm. important because it also affects the child's development. Mm. You know. And mm. all, at all mm. levels. Mm. So that's very important. Going back to Maslow's yeah. physiological yes. needs. Yes. Yeah, um, people also mm. then, of course, need um, other basic stuff. Um, on Tuesday, the, the service providers there said that their children need love. They don't have love. Mm. They, that basically mean, they mean that our children live in a contested, mm. um, traumatized uh, community or a state. They're always mm. in that state. Mm. So for, the for element of, of parental mm. love, mm. of of just you know, mm. uh, um, friendships and uh, that is lacking. Mm. So they need that, and mm. we all need that. Mm. Places and of safety, then, then safe, places they can play, yeah, and be, yeah. Yeah. health. Because we, I'm like you know, a lot of our children, like you know, grow up in communities where sanitation is a big challenge and a problem. Mm. Mm. Um, some of our schools, even we still have mm. put latrines in some um, areas of our country and stuff mm. like that. Mm. So health is very, very important. Mm. You know, uh, we have done very, very well with early childhood develop, uh, diseases and all that. And mm. we talked about the vaccine, COVID mm. vaccine. I told you about, mm. you all have been vaccinated already, like, you know, with for, for measles and mm. this and that. Mm. So what's your problem? But anyway, mm. <laughs> so our children need those basic things. Mm. No? So the provisional rights are very, very important. Shelter, food, um, you know, um, care, mm. Protect, you know, and then the protection rights mm. to be protected from harm. So mm. parents normally take care of their children to mm. protect their children mm. when they're very, very, very young and stuff like that. If parents can't do that, mm. then government have to make sure that you know, children mm. are being protected. And then, of course, um, so that's all. Uh, the protection rights are generally the stuff that uh, we work with. Yes. No? yes. Um, and then the spillover of that, from, uh, and then there's the trauma, and then you guys mm. get in, and then they need the shelter, mm. and then, you know, mm. all that kind of stuff. So the, that protection right is normally that we focus on during six days of activism, basically. Mm. Right, and then there's the participation rights, but all these rights are interwoven. Mm. You can't mm. say, okay, now today I'm going to have that one, tomorrow I have that one. We all supposed mm. to have it equally, because you know, as a child, a child needs have multiple needs yes. every day, every moment. Yes, and yes. if one is um, like you know, uh, curtailed or suppressed, or, yeah. then it affects everything else. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think I mean I just wanted to play all the time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> play is very important. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. For kids, and yet, for kids, yeah. Yeah. Really got, you really got me thinking about Maslow's hierarchy yeah. of needs and okay, the first one being the physiological, which yeah. you covered everything. But even before you get to love, then the second need is safety. safety. Mm. 
Yeah. And included security. in safety is not merely the safety from trafficking and the safety mm. from mm. sexual abuse and all of that. Mm. It's it's also inclusive of things like um, boundaries, mm. positive mm. discipline, mm. stability, mm. consistency. Mm. Mm. And and that's very difficult in some of our economic um, in some of our communities, yeah, yeah. which are under resourced. Patrick, you, you, the, the 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 campaign around catcalling. I mean, if you were to sort of take it to the level of the. Uh, you, 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 women and girls almost have a right to be protected from that kind of harassment, right? And you're saying that at some point you want to get that into, you know, that could become part of the law, right? Well, I'm like, if you, if you, um, we have um, our law I mean, very, right? very broad, mm. but I think as we already heard earlier on, it depends, you know, how people interpret these mm. things and what mm. happens to it. Because we do have laws that deals with, for example, issues like grooming. You know? mm. um, if you want to groom someone for uh, sexual purposes or whatever, especially a child, it's illegal. Mm. Mm. Um, so, and then we have harassment laws. Right, and mm. all that kind of stuff. So mm. we've got some legal framework there. But nobody seems to uh. take note of it because it's a, it's part of the culture. Mm. So that's how boys behave and that's how men behave and so we all, you know, mm. accept it. Mm. So uh, what we're beginning, what the children, when they raise it, we, we start to have discussions around this. Mm. And we start to even talk to boys and men uh, around these things. Mm. Mm. Um, I say, yeah, but I'm, like, you know, I'm just like, you know, but say like most boy, you know. Mm. So it's, and they don't understand that it is it is unwanted attention. Mm. That um, you know that what they're doing is harmful. Mm. Um, it's putting girls and women under stress. Mm. Um, that it is uh, like you know uh, um, they find it fear they fearful about it and a whole range mm. of stuff. Mm. They don't see it like that because for them it's normal. That's the way. That's what they do. Mm. They're chaffing a girl, mm. Mm. you know. Mm. So they don't see that. So we also learning through this process, mm. um, and it's also quite funny. We also then found out that boys are also being catcalled and boys are also being harassed, and, um, and we we try, still try to figure out, having discussions around that. Find out exactly how does it matter? It does happen the same way as girls happen. What we do find the effeminate. A boy or man gets catcalled and harassed almost in the same way um, women and girls are being catcalled and harassed. Almost the same language get used and stuff like that. But for the butch boy and the butch man, there's something different that happens there. Right? So if you look sort of masculine and stuff like that, um, there's a different kind of code for that that happens. So we're still um, figuring this all out to be having ongoing discussions about it. But what we are saying is that we just want to bring the, uh, um, this to the attention of people to have some uh, engagement Starting about it. Yes. Because it happens everywhere. And what we also find, if it doesn't, get stopped. It's like a prelude to the actual sexual assault oh. and rape. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because if nobody tells that boy, hey, stop, what the hell do you think you're doing? Mm. He's going to do it again tomorrow and tomorrow and mm. then tomorrow he touched the girl. Tomorrow mm. he, he then forced himself onto the girl. Mm. Right? Mm. And, a lot of the, and a lot of the girls telling us um, a high percentage of these men are elderly men in mm. their 40s mm. and 50s and 60s. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. Men and men who are married with children the same age or even younger and yes. older. Mm. Quite common. 
So um, we don't know what, what's, where it's going to go, what the nature of the campaign is going to be. But mm. so far, it's been very, very interesting. Um, um, ordinary members in, like, in Atlantis, for example, because um, on the weekly um, protests that they have, mm. they have, make a little. Everybody make a, their own little placard, and they put the message of of what. Um, the mess, uh, how they were catcalled or harassed that week on mm. that thingy, just to mm. reflect all of these things back, back to the to community. The, mm. And so some people now beginning to join them. You know, mm. they start off by only being seven girls, mm. and now they're uh, putting a crowd of uh, over 20, for example. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Brilliant. Yeah. This is it good. highlights mm. also then the importance of, um, and hats off to the education department for the the subject, official subject that we have mm. of life orientation yeah. where mm. these kinds of things are meant to be addressed. Of course, we're still dealing with, uh, like in our court systems, the overworked, mm. overwhelmed class teachers who can't cope with the high numbers of learners. So mm. what does life orientation become? It's just another free period. Mm. We don't have to do it because ugh, it's just mm. common sense, it's general knowledge mm. stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, and that for me is very sad and it also highlights the need for uh, counsellors and psychologists at schools. Mm. If you look at the ratio of psychologists to schools, oh, yeah, the school yeah. it yeah, is sorry. horrendous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They just can't get around and they can't cover it. And mm. and yet that's a prime position for making an impact mm. um, through the education of the learners. And, and I don't think those life orientation subjects are given the true value that they where they mm. can really make impact in the lives of yeah. these children. Also, it was disruptive because of COVID. Like, mm. you know, um, the school system was very disruptive. And so we could still going to see the impact of that in the next about five years' time, mm. ten years' time even, mm. Mm. or this last two years and stuff. Mm. Yeah. I love um, the, the concept of what you're doing, the campaign of catcalling, because for me it brings into sharp focus tonight's topic is what's the point of activism. And y your example is so apt because the point of activism is that you are providing hope. You are changing a system of catcalling where from seven girls we now sit with 20 girls and probably uh, tomorrow there'll be much more. And so this is the point of activism. It's mm. hope that gets given. Uh, I hope that, that, that something can change. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Or, that you you can, or that you can change no, something. It is like what you've said, the empowerment. We always have to work yes. in a way so that we can empower Power. people. Yes. Mm. Um, you know, so, to kind um, of help yeah. themselves in mm. a way. Because um, it's, it's really that combating the helplessness. That's actually what happened yeah. um, where this was what they raised. And this is what we are yeah. going to do. And it's something that um, more communities need to look at in terms of how do I, how do we um, yeah. combat what's happening in our community as well. And there's some lovely stuff happening in yes. our community, say. Absolutely. I'm sometimes yeah. very impressed about what mm. ordinary people are doing. doing. Yeah. And we can each do something yeah. positive in our corners. Yes. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Cornerstone Critical Dialogues and we are talking about gender-based violence and uh, femicide. Uh, this evening, it's the 22nd anniversary of uh, the UN Declaration of the Elimination of Violence Against Women. Um, that's what we're talking about this evening. People 
Yeah, half the population uh, of our country, which is at risk in a way of uh, daily harassment, uh, in danger of uh, sexual violence, uh, rape and murder, um, usually from someone very close to them, usually from a man uh, that they know, uh, a family member, intimate partner, uncle, cousin, brother, uh, who is... Uh, the perpetrator of this violence and uh, and intimidation and harassment. And so there is obviously uh, a responsibility on males, I would guess, but I guess, as you said, Patrick, it's not only males, but overwhelmingly men in South Africa are violent and abusive towards women. And a lot of... Um, a lot of uh, Men might say, well, not me, I'm one of the good guys. Um, and uh, others will say, well, yeah, the, you know, that's the, the fault of feminism. I've heard this argument uh, quite often, usually by people who watch jo- Jordan Peterson, uh, the philosopher, saying that it's the, the because of the feminism has empowered women and now men are, you know, men are now with the weaker sex and all this rubbish. But the fact of the matter is the facts are, are borne out that women are on the receiving end of uh, extreme violence in society um, and uh, are powerless in, in so many ways. And so this is what we are looking at. This is what we've been talking about uh, since seven o'clock. Um, if you are listening, if you are watching, if you are watching us on YouTube or Facebook, you can leave your comments there. If someone wants to uh, get in touch with uh, St. Anne's Homes, how, how do they how, how do they do that? If they are someone in need, how, how do people come to, to your organization, Joy? They can get hold of us on the social media platforms. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we're also part of the National Shelter Movement. So we also have a, we've established a National Shelter Helpline and that gives women direct access to assistance. Um, in the past year, the, sh- the um, helpline will celebrate one year on the 1st of December. We have gotten 1,300 women into um, shelters um, across uh, the country. And we've assisted women with violence because there's three social workers that um, help uh, work on this helpline. And we've assisted over 7,000 calls with gender-based violence-related uh, issues. And so referrals to, for example, Lifeline or counselling and court support, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. So uh, the number again is 800 001 Say that again, 800 001 005. That's the National yeah. Shelter Movement Helpline. Yeah. 24-7. And, and what, what happens? So they, they would call and they say, I'm, I need to come in or I need to travel there. Or, yes, and um, uh, we have also had partnerships with Uber. Hmm. And so if a woman cannot get to a police station, um, she would get to a nearest point. We would activate an Uber driver and get us into safety. Hmm. 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 Fantastic. Or alternatively, um, if she gets to a police station, the police um, will then bring her through to Hmm. us. So if you are in a situation out there, you should know that there is help there is help out there, and uh, you can call a number, toll-free number, 0800-001-005. Uh, you are not 
alone. Uh, Patrick, um, yeah, so I wanted to ask you about, so Mollison Gulolo has uh, certain activities. We were talking about the thing that early on that, uh, that what children need. Safe, sa- basically children need to have a safe place to be children. They need to be, you know, given the care and all those things, mm-hmm. but really not have to deal with all of these other things that, that, that come with. Uh, certain uh, twisted, twisted uh, adult adults. Uh, so uh, at Mollison Gloria, you've got certain activities that you have with with, with the kids that where where they do that. Can you tell us a bit about that? I mean, I've been to some of your your functions. Now, basically, um, one of our biggest projects at the moment is where we provide direct support services to children who's victims of sexual violence. So this is your sexual assault cases. This is your sexual abuse and sec- uh, sexual exploitation cases. Um, so there we do, of course, the assessments and the IDPs that we do and stuff like that, individual development plans. Um, we then provide basic counseling, some therapeutic work. That's why I'm very interested in <laughs> the work that she does. And maybe we can get some students mm-hmm. to come and help us out from mm-hmm. time to time. So we do that. And then we do also do a kind of continuum of services. Same like you do. I'm, like, I'm mm-hmm. very impressed with your, with the shelters work. I'm like, they're just fantastic. So we then would um, follow up with the child, with the, with the family. Um, with the school, um, and then also do referrals if the child needs mm. those referrals and stuff. If there's a court case, you follow that. So uh, that's one particular program. Then we um, work with children directly um, through our life skills program, and there we have um, sort of our um, young Morrison Children's Forum, and that is where we sort of work with children and facilitate their participation in public decision making processes. Mm-hmm. So children in that group, for example, uh, they were fundamental in advocating and lobbying for the commissioner to be set up, the commissioner for children, for many many years. Of these mm. children. Uh, some of them are now young adults. Over the period of 20 years, they've been advocating for the Commissioner for Children. So we've got that program. And at the moment, uh, what we're also looking at there is that with the cat calling campaign is to embrace uh, that um, initiative with the, uh, with the young people to engage with um, you know, employers, for example, to do advocacy around you know, improving you know, um, safety for children when their employers, um, their their employees, employees, when their workers Mm -hmm. are out in public Mm -hmm. and driving around and stuff like that. So that's what they are going to be discussing and hopefully next year they will take that up and develop something. So we do have that, uh, the public participation program to facilitate children's participation rights within public affairs. Um, and then, of course, we have the Young Women's Forum and the Young Men's Forum. This is our gender-specific programs. Mm -hmm. That we have, where they deal uh, um, a lot of the stuff is around also gender-based violence that they deal with in, um, in their peer group and what are the issues there. They also deal with um, other things in terms of just growing up issues of teenagers and stuff like that, you know. And um, then, of course, um, out of that came because they would uh, the girls particularly were telling us that they a lot of them don't have um, um, you know products when they have the, uh, going through their menstruation. Mm-hmm. So we then developed the. Um, you know, Dignity for Girls campaign. So in that we do a lot of sexual uh, health education with the girls and the boys around that, getting boys to understand what girls go through. Mm. And it's amazing, boys don't know their own body. (laughs) Mm. Mm. 
They only know, like, you know, what their penis do, the physical part. But mm. other than that, what's inside their bodies, they have no idea. <laughs> but, and it's amazing. Girls are better informed mm. about their own bodies and stuff like that. So we, we do a lot of that. And then, um, so we do that. And then, of course, we do a lot of rights education work. So we work with the schools. We, uh, uh, like, you know, inform and educate children about their rights. But also, more importantly, how they can use their rights. No, to, um, to protect themselves, to protect other people and stuff like that. So we, for example, inform them also what the role and function of the Human Rights Commission, how they can access that when they need the police, what how the, their rights mm-hmm. get access with different departments. And it's amazing how the children are beginning to do that. The challenge is, of course, when children, you know, Tell some an adult about. Excuse me, you mm. are now violating mm. my rights. <laughs> they think the children are a bit stroppy and ohat in you know not yeah, in their yeah. place. Yeah. yeah. So um, so uh, that's uh, something that we find that uh, children experience with their teachers, mm. with people in authority that mm. they come in contact with every day. Even their parents sometimes mm. um, don't understand this whole concept of rights, right, and that yeah. the children are basically just exercising the same yeah, things. Yeah. And what people adults need to understand is that. It's no different than the same rights that they have. Mm. Mm. Human rights. Mm. They want to be listened to. They want to be able to express themselves. A child also has those same rights. Mm. A child mm. also <laughs> wants to need to know information and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yes. But also means of neti fastani. But mm. we also mm. need to be instilling with the children the concept of rights and responsibilities. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not just about, yes. oh, I've got this yeah. bag of yeah. rights yes. and yeah. off yeah. I go to do as yeah. I yeah. And that's yeah, no. what our program is yes. called, Rights and Responsibilities. Uh-huh. Rights and Responsibilities, yeah. yeah. Very I mean, I've, 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 I've been told, that, no, 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 I've been told exactly that, you know, like uh, a child who's been very rude to me, <laughs> very rude and, uh, and cheeky. And then I say, nah, you know, you'll get a smack from me. And then she's like, I'll call the police for you. <laughs> you know? And that's also what we try to teach them or, or engage and discuss with them. So if an adult gives you a problem, don't understand what you're trying to do. Mm. How are you going to address that? How do you approach that with your teacher, with your parents, for example? Mm. Um, you know, um, so we also try and get, um, uh, with them, try to find remedies of how to mm. overcome some of these stumbling blocks that they might encounter mm. when they want to exercise their rights. Mm. What we also find, of course, when we do public education work is that our parliamentarians just don't understand children's rights. Mm. <laughs> mm. They're supposed to promote and ensure that there's public participation. Mm. But they tell us and they tell us that the children must be in school. But they don't go out to the children in school mm. to find out you know, what, what are the children want to do in terms of what they, their business is in mm. Parliament. Mm. Mm. So there's a big money. problem to our, our politicians. We don't even work know. on our politicians yeah. Yeah. and people mm. in office to understand what human rights are. Mm. Yeah. And mm. the children also have human yeah. rights. Yes. Guys, uh, you know, we could talk here for another hour. I mean, yeah, we could, I mean, this issue is so broad and deep and, and, and wide and uh, obviously very important to be talking about this, but we've got five minutes left and uh, that, that brings us nearly to the end of the two hours of the critical dialogues and I know Noel is raring to go. Just to, some final words, just to wrap up. What, 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 what I mean, it's now the, the beginning of this Two weeks. Uh, what should we? What, what message do you want to leave with, with listeners out there? Let's start with uh, Joy. In terms of uh, the two weeks that we have left, <clears throat> I think it for me it would be not just for sixteen days, but for three hundred and sixty-five days. You see something, you do something, or you and you say something. 
in terms of the abuse that's around us and that there is help out there. Um, if you, there's also this concept of, um, ring the bell, see something, say something, do something where the violence is happening next door, go knock on the door and go and ask for a cup of sugar because you are breaking the violence. You are interrupting the violence that is taking place there. So those are little things that, um, we can do, but for me, the message, see something, say something, do something. Fantastic. Patrick? Yeah. I concur. I'm like, you know, that is very, very important because for, uh, for too many of us just uh, turn a blind eye. We don't want to say, we, you know, and um, so it is about just like, you know, getting, um, doing, the, doing those small things mm-hmm. that can help, you know, talk to someone, yeah. listen to someone, you know, keep your eyes open. Signs. And of course, also, is to talk to our boys and to our men mm. and to encourage them to become defenders of children and children's rights and of women and women's mm. rights, for example. Oh. And there's a lot of good men out there, a lot of mm. good boys out there. Mm. And, you know, we need to start there. And they, can, they have a lot of power to convince other, other boys men. and other men, mm. you know, to be a positive role model um, and take responsibility yeah, for, to do better, for their yeah. children, for example, mm. for, um, you know, for women and for children, people who need support. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, and have a good Christmas, New Year's, and please, please, please get vaccinated, wear the mask. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fantastic. <laughs> Narissa, do you want to leave us with something? Yes. Um, very simple, because, you know, this this particular pandemic, like the other one, it cuts across everything. Every race, every religion, every creed, every color, um, every socioeconomic status. I've seen all those women that you've spoken about, Joy, at different stages. Um, And my message is to say that help is available Mm. in various ways. So therefore, it's okay to some days not be okay. It's okay to not be okay because sometimes we want to tend to just put on that smile. Masks are helping a lot, you you know, with this thing. And, uh, you know, we just turn the other cheek and off we go. We think we're holding it all together for the sake of our children. But actually in the long run, we could be damaging our children. Mm -hmm. So it is okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. Be true to yourself and seek help. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Thank you so much, everyone for these past two hours it's well, been you. fantastic nice being here with you yes 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 <laughs> we can yeah I mean I think we should actually do a, a whole show on just on boys and men at some point I really wanted to have that perspective in, in, in on, on the radio because it's a, something that hasn't really been we kind of, it's kind of left on the sidelines but it's I think it's central to to the, to the solution of this problem okay ladies and gentlemen we are out for this evening we're going to have to leave it there hope to see you next week right here